It's a cool record because there's a punk song. There's Dreamscapes with Prowess. It's like an ethereal, introspective, like poetic song. The frequency of that song is actually set to 432 hertz, which if uh, any listeners are out there are curious about that, it's a fascinating topic in music because right now most music is, is tuned to 440, which is was a standard that was developed back in the Middle Ages. But like a lot of the classical uh, musicians and composers all used 432 because they felt like it was a more, it's more emotive. Happy Halloween. It's episode 121 of the MCLRs podcast. This week we've got Cowboy Coder. Now you may have recognized him as the guest vocalist on ADA AMA from Blockchain Planet. He also executive produced that record. And after Blockchain Planet dropped, I produced Cowboy Coder's debut album, Code Rage. And he just put out an EP of really cool, uh, like techno EDM covers of old school video game themes. It's called Stardust. So we talk about that. We talk about his role as an engineer before moving full time into musician life. Cowboy Coder came on tour with me in the UK with uh, Laser from the Double Clicks and Shape for the Dark Lord and Ruled by Raptors last year. So this is my interview with Cowboy Coder right here on the MC Lars podcast. Happy Halloween, everyone. Welcome to the MC Lars Podcast. I'm here with Cowboy Coder. We're back. You may have seen this dude with me in Glasgow at Slam Dunk in Leeds and Hatfield in Newcastle. You may have heard his album Code Rage. He's like my Obi-Wan Kenobi in this new world of Web3. He's a great musician and he's a great friend. So Sean, welcome to yes. the MC Lars Podcast. Yeah, Lars, thanks for having me on. So glad to be here. And we work on a lot of music. Do you want to drop some knowledge on how we met? I got introduced to you through my my girlfriend, Sarah. She went to Stanford with you. We came to one of your concerts in downtown Austin in February of 2020. So right before everything got locked down. It was the last concert that I went to before everything went down. But it was at that concert, we just got to talking about doing some music together and collaborating. And it just it just went from there. And the beautiful thing was about COVID had us all working remotely. So it was really easy for us to like blend that lifestyle into working together. And Code Rage was a, a, a genesis of something that came from my tech background. I always wanted to be in music. And you were such a great mentor to guide me into that world. I remember you were spinning up the Lit Hop Academy at the time. And I was doing a lot more like exercises with you. We did some brief collaborations on like Blockchain Planet too. The ADA AMA song, you sing on that and you helped me produce a lot of those tracks and you helped me with a lot of the ideas for that record. That was where I think maybe a lot of the Lars fans saw your name first because it was like ADA AMA featuring Cowboy Coder. Getting that introduction to it, going through the Lit Hop Academy, which you were like so instrumental in giving me confidence to know that I could create my own original music. And I had the concept of code rage as an angsty <laughs> developer who needs to express out to the world. And you were like really instrumental in helping formulate that album. Richard Matthew, who's done a lot of stuff for Mega Random Me, and he's producing the new album with Schaefer. He's worked with De La Soul. He produced my wife's band Handjob Academy, their music. Yeah. He did a lot of the post-production 
she flew out to Brooklyn when I was living there and we yeah. just posted up at a studio in Williamsburg for Watsky and Soul Coughing and a lot of other bands had recorded. I flew in on a Thursday night and we toured the studio and then we were in there Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That was like an experience of a lifetime. It was so cool to see you in the studio. You're such a great producer getting, yes. getting me to loop through and, and do all the things we needed to do to put that, put all the vocals together. You came in very prepared which I love. It's a cool record because there's a punk song. There's Dreamscapes with Prowess. It's like an ethereal, introspective, like poetic song. The frequency of that song is actually set to 432 hertz, which if uh, any listeners are out there are curious about that, it's a fascinating topic in music because right now, most music is, is tuned to 440, which is was a standard that was developed back in the Middle Ages. But like a lot of the classical uh musicians and composers all used 432 because they felt like it was a more it's more emotive it was really cool to put that little touch on it because dreamscapes is a very ethereal song that's about how do we find solutions in this world and how can we tap into like our imagination in a like kind of a deeper way there's cowboy coding which is about your philosophy to coding and your like individual perspective that you bring as an indie musician cowboy coding is a really great song too because it it basically embodies this philosophy of finding solutions in the world and, and making things happen and cowboy coding gets a bad rap in the technical world because it's like oh you're just like haphazardly going out there and doing whatever you want but that's not really what I'm trying to emphasize on this song. This song is more about taking a, f a framework that you have to work within and basically like making your own rules in a way that you create value because a lot of frameworks that do get put into like developers, it, it constrains their creativity. So it's all about like cowboy coding is all about breaking through and finding your creative spark to like either develop or create music and so that's why i love that song because it kind of intersects those two worlds it's like developing and creating music come together in that song because it's like you're doing your own thing you're breaking out you're breaking free of the constraints that are put upon you the remix is cool because it's like the two different perspectives on it you did those shows in the uk it was interesting that your debut tour was international <laughs> I'm going global, baby. It was an experience of a lifetime. And I appreciate you letting me join your tour. Man, what a whirlwind experience. Because it is, it's tough for new artists to find a venue to explore their performance. And that was a great opportunity for me to just be thrust into that. And it was cool to, to wind it up at the Slam Dunk Festival too. That was amazing. Raptors were the backing band and it was tight. The new... Cowboy Coda project is called Stardust. Stardust is basically a journey into the past with all of these really great songs that were embedded into the old 80s video games. Some of the music that went into these old video games is just phenomenal. They're very complex and they're very intricate in the way that they engage people. And, and so I'm hoping that fun energy of playfulness comes through with this album, taking a lot of these old songs and rejuvenating them and bringing forth like a new perspective and a new energy into this. Stardust is actually coincides with 
a very famous reintroduction of a video game song. Lazy Jones was a very fascinating video game because it had eight video games within it. And because Lazy Jones was trying to escape from his manager, this is how the video game is set up. And he would hop into each of these rooms and there'd be a video game that he would play while he's goofing off trying to like not work and his bosses are trying to find him. And one of those games was called Stardust. And that was the inspiration for a famous song called Kerncraft 400. And we did do a remix of that as well. It is out on YouTube with our anime cover on top of it. So that's the Akira video, right? The Cowboy Coder YouTube channel is dope. Like we took anime songs that fit the vibe of these video games that you covered. We've been doing this project, Fiona Snapple, where we take pop songs and do black metal hyper pop. So it's like screaming yeah. with a singer and Fiona Snapple's Scandinavian. We created this whole fake story about Fiona Snapple. So Kerncraft 400 was you and Fiona Snapple doing the song. But the Kerncraft 400 has a unique copyright history because it's taken from Lazy Jones, but they had to pay a sum to get the publishing. And then there's a great Vice documentary that shows how there's the sports chant remix with the singing. We did the Fiona Snapple cover. You and Fiona Snapple did the remix. You get a cover license and you get a, a, a mechanical license. And the, the dude who runs the label wasn't feeling that. It got 100,000 plays. It was popping. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, You're a victim of your own success because it's <laughs> like as soon as they see you like popping off, they're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. it's wild though that we had a license and they're like, no, that doesn't work. It's one of those weird music industry <laughs> details. Because a cover, it's, it's a unique scenario because a cover is legal when you don't change it. But what came into question is what is the original Going back to the Lazy Jones thing, the original being the thing from the game. Stardust is a reference to that. And Lazy Jones, in a way, that's the original metaverse. It's the OG of the metaverse. I love that. <laughs> and so that in spirit became the album. And then the album cover is you. It's a reference to that Matthew Broderick film. The cover yeah. art, you designed it. Juan and Diego drew it. What yeah, was the yeah. concept? So it's War Games. This was a movie that came out in the 80s. And it starred Matthew Broderick, and he was a hacker, and he hacked into the defense network system, and he started interacting with the primitive AI, if you will, at the time that governed all of the uh, missile systems. He was, the computer would prompt him and say, would you like to play a game? And that's the impetus for that album art. I love Tetris. This was a very popular game. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have probably heard of it or even played it. You have to basically solve these puzzles with four. There's four different pieces that come down and you basically solve this puzzle as you go through it. It teaches you a lot of life lessons because the game never ends until like you die. <laughs> you can't go any farther, but it keeps getting progressively harder and harder. It's symbolic of life in a lot of ways. But the music component of it is fascinating, too, because it was inspired by this guy named Nikolai Nekrasov. He wrote a poem, and the song that went along with that, called Korobeninki, <laughs> this song was a Russian folk song, and that's how it got embedded into the actual video game. Tetris is basically Tetra for four. And tennis, 
So the guy was trying to combine the, the art of playing something that's enjoyable for him as well as these four pieces that you have to work together. But but the music is phenomenal. I really love the song and we did a remix of it and we have a video that kind of highlights the Apple TV movie that they put out about Tetris, which is another fascinating story in itself. But we embody that in the music video. It's cool because you're someone who knows a lot about tech, about Web3, and Tetris is literally a chain of blocks. It's a blockchain. Yeah. And, you- and that was something I, I wanted to capture in this album too, was like all these different philosophical ideas that I have always running through my mind and trying to rejuvenate like some of these old great classic songs. Cause I love the remix that we did on this and the video that goes along with it captivates you and makes you very curious about the backstory. So hopefully people will enjoy the song and maybe go see the, the movie on Apple TV. It's a great cover. Hardcore high energy. It kicks the record off. We drop yeah. into this kind of chill hip hop cover of the great Gianna sisters theme, which some background yes. on this is a little lesser known game, the Mario parody spinoff that came out for the Commodore 64. You realized you like the theme of song a lot, right? It's basically the story of this girl who's having a dream and she's looking for her sister in this dream. There's 33 levels in this game. And when you finish it, the sister comes and wakes you up and you realize you're in a dream. Whoa, this is like meta. There's an underworld and an overworld. So there's this theme of as above, so below, intertwined in, into the game. It's got so many different aspects to it. It almost brings you into this mystical kind of experience in terms of how it flows. And we've done a, a pretty cool animation with it as well that kind of brings in some of these mystical elements. There was this Polish rapper named Denise who sampled it in 2006 on this song called Neckum. And it's a pretty cool rap. He's like serious Polish hardcore. Music can transcend its origin. Both Great Gianna Sisters and Money on the Run are examples of games within games, stories within stories. Yeah. There's a framing device, and that's what I love about this project. We created this framing device by taking famous anime that reflects the songs and doing the anime music videos. It's not just like an album of video game covers. Anytime we can blend some philosophy in with some of the things that we're creating and working with, and that's exactly what I think that song embodies. And you covered a NES classic that all the kids with their ray guns who worked on the Duck Hunt cover. Talk about that one. There's some personal elements for me as well. There was a group of people I used to play this game with back in the day. And you can hear it in, if you listen closely in the background on this song. So that's really cool. But if anybody ever played Duck Hunt, it was one of the first kind of video games that kind of tried to bring the arcade experience to your home. And you had this device that was like it was almost like a first person shooter that would actually allow you to shoot at the screen when these little ducks would fly around and the thing that was really funny about this game was like if you missed like the dog would come and it would like taunt you and laugh at you (laughs) so i always thought that was hilarious i don't know why but we've got that in the song as well like we put the little dog laughing because that's the most iconic part of this video game and that's what i wanted like this song to represent it's just like a playful fun. That's what I used to do. So 
that one has yeah. a lot of like personal elements for me myself on it and also what's fun about this cover i think that's cool like a tag on there but when i think of duck hunt the theme music doesn't stand out to me as as much as it does for like mario brothers or something but when you made right. this cover i was like oh that music the theme music is good so it was like a surprising yeah. twist i haven't heard like a edm cover of of the duck right, hunt theme right. Ever, so. <laughs> probably never will again but yeah <laughs> that's why we're blazing new ground <laughs> i'm just like now like with guns and video games like you get these active shooters training on call of duty and taking right. out supermarkets of people like this was back in the day right. when shooting games were fun we're just shooting mallards yeah. and a dog is comically right. reacting to the pixels this next one this was a fun one. This is The Last Ninja. Tell us about this song. Yeah, I always loved this because back in back in the 80s, like ninjas were like, they were like the embodiment of coolness. This video game is all about like you being a ninja and going and trying to infiltrate into this layer of underground world that you had to basically escape all the people who were trying to get you. The ninja, which is like such a cool like, 80s iconic character it, it like blends a lot of like classical japanese music into it the game was more like around exploration and puzzle solving as well so it had like, these three components to it but then you had the martial element of like your ninja skills would come into play whenever like you'd get too close to an opponent you could flip them or throw a throwing star at them and stuff like that i just always was fascinated by ninjas and i think that's what just gravitated me towards this particular game so this game came out in 87 and it has an interesting three-quarter view because a lot of mario and stuff is side scrolling for 87 these graphics were great right and that's the other thing that's fascinating a lot of these games were revolutionary at the time the mega had sick graphics there's a really great roger rabbit game called hair raising havoc it's the best Roger Rabbit game. So let's talk about Centurion. Centurions. Okay. They're basically they're trying to thwart the efforts of Doc Terror, who's who's trying to build like weapons. It's basically like a top-down shooter game where you're basically seeing it from an expanded view and you're trying to basically take out these guys that are like trying to build weapons. And so you're trying to basically be the centurion of the earth if you will. When we did the art, we have a the single art. It's like a Roman soldier. So this game also came out in 87, Centurion's Power Extreme. And it's it's like Gauntlet, It's if anyone's familiar with that game. You go through a series of screens, just like, they're just like in Gauntlet and stuff like that. What was your favorite gaming platform when you were growing up? It was probably Commodore 64, just because it was so revolutionary at the time. It had a lot of powerful processing and the fact that they started the whole 8-bit music scene, because that's what they embedded into these video games. That kind of was the genesis of like digital music. And so like now we have a lot to, we have a lot to thank that platform for bringing music into a digital world. So I, I think that's like probably the coolest platform. That thing about those melodies, like you have only a few channels. You have to make the melody really good. If you're going to sample something, it's got to be tight. If you're going to do an EDM video game covers record, you got to pick songs with strong melodies, which you did. And I think that's interesting about 8-bit sounds, Commodore 64 opening the door for that. It's like a parallel there. We always seem to come back to these themes throughout, whether it's in technology or music or culture, 
we're always like cycling through these same kinds of patterns. And it's fascinating to me what makes one thing take off and another thing not. Why didn't Commodore 64, why didn't they see, hey, maybe digital music is like, why don't we go chase down that industry? But it's just fascinating to me how everything feeds off of itself and they take ideas from different places and and you never know which one's ultimately going to end up winning that race. Yeah, it's the market and like the 83 video game crash the Atari shock where there was just like too much stuff, too many yeah. consoles. They're all similar, too expensive. And then the famous ET game, which was like yeah. very expensive. People didn't like it. The guy who designed it, Howard Scott Warshaw was on the MC Lars podcast a few years ago. I went to his house. He was <laughs> pointed at as the reason the video game industry crashed. And he be, he's a therapist now and does therapy for engineers and devs in Silicon Valley. Wow. Pretty cool. You bring up therapy because I've heard that, they're using Tetris now as a form of therapy. Like you can use a video game to help entrain your mind and things that are like Tetris, where it like uses cognitive abilities to play the game. They're using video games to help people deal with like trauma and other types of psychological disorders. And I don't know, that's just fascinating. I didn't even know that he actually became a therapist. Creativity is therapy. I remember using Mario Paint which was an old SNES game that had a mouse and you can make music on it. And that made me start to understand MIDI and how to make music on my dad's old um, power PC Mac. Video games can be therapeutic and can train you to think in patterns in a way to build music and be creative. So that's the shift where like the generation before us, I think video games are very healthy and good, but it's interesting how, what did your parents think about you being really into computers and games and stuff? They saw this is probably like the future. Just being involved with computers in general, I think it brings people into the techn- technological world. I-, I compare it to how books help to bring people into literacy, right? If some, if someone, it, it, that's what I find fascinating. Like books are so powerful because like they can captivate your imagination, and I think it helps for people to engage and be literate. Computers is the same. And now to work in this world that we're living in, that's another form of literacy. It's like, how well do you interact with a computer? And I think gaming is like books are to literacy. I think my parents viewed it that way too. They're like, he's learning computers and computers are going to be the future, even if it was just for video games. There's that famous Gary Larson cartoon, The Far Side, where there's a kid playing Nintendo and the parents are yeah. imagining all the future want ads. Can you save the princess? $100,000 a year. And now people win tournaments and do YouTube channels about gaming where it's, if you love games, that could be your career. Yeah. Which is oh, cool. Oh, yeah, funny. yeah. Had that went full circle. When I was working with Henry Jenkins, who's a communications professor at Annenberg at USC, when we were doing the stuff for the TED Talk, a lot of his work focuses on transmedia. And it's this idea that like, when we were Neanderthals, Young kid babies are taught to play with toy spears and toy bows and arrows. So when they become adolescents, they're ready to go hunt the mammoth to get the mammoth meat. So you play in a way that makes Uh. you ready for that sort of way of surviving. Being primed to have that digital literacy is just as important. Being able to make beats and create more, consume less media, create media. And it's interesting, like your career, you were always a musician. You played in bands all through college and you did music and yeah. Then you went down like a developer engineer route and now music's your full-time profession. So gaming got me into technology, got me thinking in abstract ways. 
And I think like music was always like this creative outlet that I had that I felt like I could connect with my creativity in a different way. And getting into the tech world and like developing was always, I always felt was very similar to being creative because you have to think in very abstract ways to be like a really good developer. And so all of these things, like the confluence of like music, technology, and development, it's all something that's just been part of my journey in life. And it's so cool to like return to music after so many years. Cause once I was in development, I was like, so it's cool to come back later in life and re-explore. You're a very like thoughtful, yeah. philosophical guy. And I love how all the songs you picked for Stardust, all they're all like stories within stories, right? And it's yeah. they all have a they all spark the imagination. I think Chain Reaction's an interesting one. Do you want to talk about that one? Back in the eighties, there was always this kind of apprehension about uh, nuclear technology and how we would use it in the future. And so like chain reaction kind of embodies that whole element of like people who are resisting something that actually could be beneficial for the world, but it's such a powerful technology. Are we going to be good stewards of it? People who are like trying to resist nuclear technology. So they've overtaken this plant and your mission is to go and get all of these uh, containers of radioactive material before these people take over the plant and destroy the plant. So it's, it's another one of those games that, this is what I love about these old games. It's about exploration, puzzle solving, and then some form of kinesthetics, or whether that's like a martial art or, or something else involved. And in this particular game, it's like you have a jet pack and you can, do, you can go through the air, go through the land, go through the sea. And there's ways for you to like go into these different environments and try to get the the radioactive material before the before the people who are against it like contaminate the whole plant. <laughs> and it's one of those ones that's also by Ron Hubbard, who I think is like he's a masterful composer. And I, I just love like this one and Monty on the are like probably two of my favorites because like the complexity and just to know like someone composed this for a video game and it's like a masterpiece. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that you had those great classical composers. I think that's what kind of started in the eighties video game genre. You had these just masterful music scores that went along with these amazing games. Like the Mario theme and all those old gamer songs, like they were uh -huh. albums. They did one on the soundtrack from the Mario brothers game that Ashley got me that book. It truly is art and it truly is like these composers. Yeah. Like they enter the pop culture. You hear these themes forever. Great composers remix stuff that's already out there and recontextualize it, which is a hip hop thing. But that's also the context of the Tetris. Take a, a folk song and make it reflect. Right. It's interesting how yeah. two things I was going to say, like chain reaction came out in 87 and like the graphics on that are so much more primitive compared to last ninja. It seems like it's more of a puzzle game than last ninja maybe. Right. Exactly. And so it is fascinating how they, they like these games all have similar components, but like they put the emphasis on something you know, like whether it's puzzle solving or whether it's like kinesthetics, which is, would be like martial arts. Yeah. How they reflect our culture. Like you said about fear about the nuclear war or right 
like invasion. I remember I took a class on the history of American cinema. One of the themes was like the movies that are made reflect the times. And when we took like Akira to remake that for your Kerncraft video, that's oh, reflects right. like, yeah. the trauma of a post nuclear world in Japan. And like the first invasion of the body snatchers came out in the fifties was very much like a commentary on communism. The fear that like post World War II communism was going to take over everyone and snatch them away. And that was like, right. that movie has themes of that. Then they remade it in the seventies. And there was a lot of apprehension about cults and like the post utopian hippie movement and like Jim Jones and all that. So like the theme is, okay, are cults going to take over the, the California <laughs> right. cult mind control? Is that going to take over? It's the same movie, but it's a different narrative where the movie is not actually about the movie. It's about the times in which it was created. And so it's interesting because that metaphor extends to your record because the right. songs are about your connection to these things and their reflection in history. And now this question about sustainability, nuclear energy, like maybe it is a cleaner thing. Maybe we will be on other planets carrying barrels around and people who are trained in that game will get that job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty interesting. So Blade Runner, tell us about this. Cause like yeah. I hadn't heard about this game till you put me onto it. Yeah. Blade Runner is a fascinating thing too. There's a reboot now out that we tapped into as well, the Black Lotus. It's cool to see that being rebooted. And this is a fascinating theme because I think we're going to enter this world here with AI and everything coming on board with robotics. And those robotics may turn into what in Blade Runner, and they, they call these things, they're called replicants. And what they are is they're basically androids that are very human-like. And there is a revolt that happens like on one of the colonies. And so it's like these, these androids basically overthrew like the colony out in space and earth has a ton of these replicants. And so like the whole theme behind Blade Runner is you have to go and get these replicants and round them up so that they don't do harm. And this game is, is all about that. It's all about you have to go and you have to like go find these replicants throughout the game. That movie is so iconic. The first game came out in 85, I think. Yeah. The, the thing that's really cool about Blade Runner is Ben Jealous actually did the soundtrack for the movie. I don't know if, if you're familiar with him, but he was also the composer who did Chariots of Fire, which was like a really iconic score of music. And that's embedded in the whole Blade Runner saga. And I just wanted to like kind of mention that because Ben Jealous is like, a, a really amazing composer and, and like the fact that there's an element of that present in in the game and the song itself is like really cool to me and the really cool thing about that is there was a lot of controversy about this game when it came out too because they didn't actually have the license from the movie production company so they had to say oh this is just inspired by vangelis his soundtrack to the movie and so that's how they were able to somehow get away with that. <laughs> but I think it's I think that's an interesting backstory on it too. It's like a circumlocution with Kerncraft, right? Wait a minute, <laughs> who has the copyright here? <laughs> Blade Runner was based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, who's been very prescient yeah. in like a lot of things he predicted, like stuff about surveillance with Minority Report and Scanner Darkly yeah. and like AI, like you were talking about. And lo a lot of themes in Philip K. Dick, he predicted came true, which is why, in my opinion, it's very much in the consciousness. A lot of the science fiction 
stuff yeah. that the authors wrote about. So, Monty on the Run. Do you want to talk about this right. remix? This one is our longest song. I love this one because, again, it's Ron Hubbard. And Ron Hubbard, to me, is just, he's one of those classic composers for these video games. And this game is basically about this Monty is basically a mole. <laughs> so it's this kind of, it's this weird like fantasy world, but and a, a mole, I mean by like an animal. <laughs> so he's a mole that was part of a union that went on strike against some of the mining that they were doing. So like he had, he had pro the him and his union had problems with the way that they were using moles to do mining and so like this whole video game is about they're going they're trying to find him and track him down because he started this whole strike with the miners and it's just a journey of him like trying to escape from these people who are like trying to track him down and so again it's a game of exploration it's got puzzle pieces that you have to solve within screens and I think it goes through like something like 30 some odd levels. And then at the end, like if you make it out, like now you're free or whatever. So it's cool. It's got a lot of really interesting puzzles that you have to solve. And it's just a really fun video game. But the song itself is really quite epic because it's it very much reminds me of some of the old like Bach or Beethoven style composing because there's many different complex melodies throughout this whole song and, and you're right it's like our longest song because it really was like that long in the video game a lot of video games just have a simple little beat a melody that might repeat the whole, through, through the whole game but this is like a, a true composition experiment yeah the themes change when you sent this to me i was like wait is this two songs you bounce <laughs> together on yeah, like, yeah exactly exactly that's what it feels like <laughs> I thought that this song was cool because also the game, I obviously saw, this is a game I learned about from you. It's very surreal, right? It's like a surreal concept. Uh -huh. You're a mole named Monty who led a labor yeah. strike and <laughs> then you're on, on the run because of the labor <laughs> right. strike. And in the eighties, there was, that was Thatcher era England. Cause like the game, British game designers made it. And that was a theme, right? Like she was shutting yeah. down the coal mine. She was, and everyone was like, she's doing it for the greater, the greater, long-term economic strength of England, but that's been a controversial thing because yeah. people are very divided on that Brexit and everything. So it's like this game, it's funny that now I don't think you'd have a new game where you have a squirrel who's an Antifa <laughs> member who's doing a Black Lives Matter <laughs> protest because Nike right. shut down. You know what I mean? Like, politics, it's cool. It was cool that in the 80s, politics and gaming could, mainstream game could go like that. Yeah, exactly. It's really cool that you could have some of these social commentaries embedded within a video game and, and people could enjoy it just as a form of escape. And education, like about the power of big business. And I thought that yeah. it'd be interesting to end with some metaphors, how Monty Mole is like Cowboy Coder because... He goes from problem-solving engineering to like yeah. becoming a, a voice for freedom and expression. Like you went from engineering right. to being a full-time <laughs> songwriter. Uh, this idea of this idea of he switches careers. He's yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's an optimist who has to solve all these problems. And as a songwriter, as you're independently figuring out how to promote your music and you're doing different styles of music, I was wondering. Do you relate to Monty Mole at all? Or is that a far-fetched metaphor? I'm trying to draw. No, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. Monty was like 
<laughs> trying to be a voice for the people. And so there's a lot of things that go along with that. But it's also like the, the cool thing about, I do feel like there's an analogy there where it's like navigating the, the musical world, something that you haven't really explored for many years, but now like your background gives you all these tools to explore it. And yeah, I think that's a good analogy. That's Stardust. It's streaming everywhere. Be sure to subscribe to Cowboy Coder's YouTube channel. I hope all the listeners really enjoy it and can embrace some of these themes that we were talking about and can see them as they enjoy the music and the videos. This song is about Charles Hoskinson and the AMAs he does on YouTube. Other day, till my man went live with an AMA. When the alert hit me via what 5G? I was like proof of steak or proof of ground beef. Coming live from Boulder, where it's always sunny. This sometimes Colorado, Chuck's talking money, but not fiat. Though we can't pretend that we can ignore a recent market downtrend. The fluctuations might astonish us. He celebrates the downfall of Bitcoin dominance. I forgot to do the dishes. His talks are that amazing. Cardano project got us all stargazing. When I feel the world is ending, I'm thinking I might just check out his thoughts on programmable finance. Fighting double speed, we got Charles on the mic. Opting out the legacy financial system tonight Charles Hoskinson has got a lot to say It's the ADA Looks like your afternoon spoken for today It's the ADA Stop everything, put that book away It's the ADA I heard that he's been fasting, the dude looks great It's the ADA Cause he was on YouTube talking arbitrary markets I couldn't text my wife that I was running late As he explained ways to stabilize nation states I tried to tell my family but none of them were hearing me Siloed in my office, it's top-down tyranny Getting negative interest from my closest friends Hybrid deflated engagement once again Stealing Wi-Fi from my neighbors Redistribution He's talking antiquated systems and broken institutions And if you were my brother, I hope I'd be forgiven If I gave him a job Though he hates nepotism The father of Cardano, the crypto king Hyperion Who hates to be called the co-founder of Ethereum Answers questions open source, clearly committed Blockchain planning he Addicted to his channel, I'm addicted. I won't be home for Christmas, but let me explain. It's the ADA. Will we still survive if they don't regulate the banks? It's the ADA. A multi party computations when progress has been made. It's the ADA. I think the market ecosystem is gonna be okay. It's the ADA. Wait, Roger Rabbit 2 is premiering tonight? And ICP did the soundtrack? And Karis 1 and Bill Watterson are giving you a ride over there? That sounds fun and all, but I can't go. Hoskinson just announced another AMA. Apparently, he doesn't trust the central banking system. <laughs> what well, great memories. That was ADA AMA. That was me featuring Cowboy Coder from Blockchain Planet. And listening to that song brings back memories of the pandemic's end. And all the amazing stuff that happened after that. I'm doing a week of shows with Bit Brigade on the East Coast. And we're actually going up to Canada. Nerdcoretour.com for tickets and info. And we'll be back. Who should I interview next? I don't know. You tell me. But thank you for listening. We'll see you soon.